Hey, what's up? You're listening to the So What Are You podcast. I'm your host, Faraz Malani, and I'm joined by my sister and co-host, Ida. In our segments, we will be navigating the challenges of being multicultural and defining identity while diving into our guests' lives and personal experiences. Today, our guest is an old friend of mine, Ian Behjat. Ian is currently an agricultural engineer, or in his words, an engineer at an automated indoor farm. My first memory of Ian was meeting a shy, quiet teenager who had just moved to the Silicon Valley with his family from the United Arab Emirates. This was probably 10 or 15 years ago. I was empathized for Ian for being thrown into a new country and culture in the middle of high school, but I realized I had never really gone into the details with him about that experience. So in today's episode, Ian talks about how he was not new to being the odd man out, being a racial and religious minority in the UAE. In addition to that, we also learn about his perspective on America being a melting pot and how removing the concept of culture could be a good thing for everyone. Hope you enjoy my conversation with Ian. Hi. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for being on our podcast. We appreciate you. Um, So... We kind of just jump in here. So to intro you, can you tell us who you are, where you're from, in terms of where were you born and where did you live? Um, And then how was your overall experience growing up there or in that community? Um, And just talk to me about that a little bit. Sure. My name is Ion. I am 25. I was born and raised in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates. And I moved to the U.S. when I was 10 years old. And California has been home since. I was raised in UAE for the first 10 years of my life. And that was very interesting because I was non-Muslim and non-Arab, which meant I stood out a lot, which also meant that it was very difficult to make friends in public school. It was very common for my brothers and I to get bullied and beat up and be outcasted. And at the time, we were sad about it. But now we're very happy because it, you know, built character. It gave us more of an identity as to who we are and what it means to be different. But for the first 10 years of my life, it was quite challenging because subconsciously I would blame my parents for picking the wrong religion or I would hate myself for being born into the wrong race, wrong ethnicity in the Middle East. But through that, I learned a lot about myself. It gave me a lot of time to spend time alone and better understand what feels good, what doesn't feel good, where I want to be, where I don't want to be. And when I moved to the U.S., it was quite liberating. I was in a place where being different was welcomed to an extent. There were many different groups that did not revolve around culture or religion. And yeah. That's a good answer. Um, Can you tell me about what you mean when you say there are other groups outside of religion and uh, culture? Yeah. It's very interesting here in the U.S. We have lots of different communities that gather, especially here in the Bay Area. It could be a community of people that are engineers. It could be artists. It could be gardeners. Um, What's different is that these are groups of people that come together based off of an interest rather than something that they're born into. And I think there's something very beautiful about this because you get to pick which of these groups you want to be a part of rather than you were just born into this religion. You're born into this country. You know what I mean? And when you have that passion, there are no limits as to how far you could take it. 
Like I, I was born into a Iranian household in the Middle East, and there's only so much Persian things I could do to become like the ultimate Persian. You know, <laughs> not that that's my goal. But wait, hold up. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you mean when you say ultimate Persian? I'm I'm curious to dig into that a little bit. From my perspective, I'm not going to generalize what the average Persian is, but a very masculine macho man drives a white BMW, smells like a gallon of cologne type of thing. You know, love that. So passions are BMWs and cologne. I love that. <laughs> okay, so does that? So just for a clarifying question, because I was born and raised in California and really haven't left here that much. So are you saying there is like a fundamental difference in terms of being raised in the Middle East? It was very like sectioned out that like you're Persian and then you're not Muslim. And so it puts you in a category and that's kind of who your community is. And then in the US, it's more like, yeah, there is that experience of kind of looking different, not being the same culture or background as people, but common interest was something that also brought people together. And that was different for you. You summarize it very well, but let me be clear that this was my personal experience. I'm sure there are lots of people in the Middle East that were there around the same time I was. I had a very different experience. But yeah, that was my reality at the time. I appreciate you clarifying because, yeah, it's not everyone's experience. But for you, that was that was your personal experience with it. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd like to back up a little bit just because I don't think I've spent much time talking to you about um, your experience in the UAE. And so it, you're kind of a unique case in the sense that you had, you know, your your cultural differences experience both over there and then you also had it over here. Um, so it's kind of like two experiences to talk about. I, I, I do want to focus more on the your, your experience over here, but I think it'd be cool to just hear a little bit about, um, you know, D- dig in, dig in a little bit more into like your experience in the UAE growing up. Those those first, I think you said ten years. Mm-hmm. What like you mentioned, there was like bullying. You mentioned, uh, yeah, fighting things like that. Like, could you share some more about that and like what the experience was like? Sure. Uh, so I had two groups that I would spend a lot of time with. I was born and raised into a Baha'i household. Uh, for those that don't know, Baha'i faith is a world religion. And in the UAE, I was either in academia, in school, with the more Muslim group of people, because I was an Islamic state and I was in a public school, or I'd be with the Baha'i kids after school, which were uh, not always Arab. Uh, it was a bit more diverse, and uh, they were a lot more understanding of different people with different backgrounds. Uh, in terms of what it was like in the UAE at the time, it was a very Islamic state. Um, I had to act Muslim in school. I had to read the Quran. Uh, I had to pray at the mosque on Fridays, certain Fridays with my class and things like that. And if I didn't, uh, I'd be looked down upon. My teachers didn't like me. Uh, just the experience, the human experience was very different there, uh, especially at that that elementary school that I was put in. And I've always been really interested in arts and crafts, but that's seen as a very feminine thing to do. And so uh, during lunchtime, because I didn't want to play soccer or you know climb a tree with the rest of the kids, I would just hang out with my art teacher in his room and I would be shy if anybody saw me there. So social norms were really strong 
and I've been aware of them since I was really young when I was there. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's something I I totally wouldn't have even thought about. Like, I I I'd never thought of it as feminine in, in America. Maybe it's not like the typical route, but that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do want to share that. So I moved to the U.S. in 2006. And I think two weeks after we moved here, uh, I had my first day of sixth grade. And this was a very hectic time because my family was busy getting situated to the new place. Uh, My English was really bad. And my first day of sixth grade, I was put into an ESL class, English as a second language. And when I first walked in, my dad came with me because I was really scared, really shy. I had a bowl cut, kind of chubby. I saw boys and girls sitting in the same classroom with a female teacher. This is very different from what I was used to in the Middle East. So I immediately started crying because the culture shock was so big. Really? Uh, Seeing boys and girls sitting next to each other in like regular clothes with uh, like a really young, attractive teacher teaching in the class. And I didn't even speak the language. It was so bizarre to me, but I'll never forget that. Wow. That's crazy. I, I didn't I didn't know that. So for for those of us who don't know the experience in like somewhere like UAE, what what does it look like there when you go and walk into a class? Well, now now it's a lot more westernized. Especially UAE is not the the best example of a Middle Eastern country that's that's very conservative. Um, but at the time, the elementary school I went to, it was all boys. We all had uniforms. Nearby countries have malls where one floor is just for men, one floor is just for women. Uh, when our neighbors would get married, they would have a wedding, but the male and female section would be completely separate and be like one DJ for both. It's really interesting. The DJ, if it's a male DJ, you can't see what the females are doing, but you just play music for them anyways, you know? So it's a, it's a very... Uh, black and white type of lifestyle where people are separated based off of age, uh, sex, gender, and yeah, just, it, it's it's a lot of grouping people together for things that they did not pick. And this is the part that I don't like very much. And this is why I feel like I've been thriving here in California because I'm spending a lot more of my time and energy diving deeper into things that I am picking to indulge in rather than what I was born into. I mean, I can relate on the other end of that as a girl who runs more like tomboy than anything. And so on one level, it's like I can understand the experience of like being interested in something that's not like gender normative. And then like, so I could, I mean, yeah, guys do art, but I I understand what you're saying in terms of in a culture like that, where it's that black and white, art is not going to fall on the side of a like guy's supposed interest level, whatever they're supposed to be interested in. Um, And I get that because I feel like I had the same experience more so clashing with my parents about it because that's that was their experience in the Middle East is very separated and like women do this and men do this. And so when I didn't like wearing dresses or I liked playing sports or like didn't have the whole feminine thing going on, I do remember that level of kind of like isolation and confusion about that and shame about not being as like feminine. So now that I'm thinking about it, it kind of makes sense that that pressure would come from my parents who were raised in a Middle Eastern country mm-hmm. and might have seen it like that as well. So I could see how that would. But yeah, it's isolating. That experience is isolating for sure. Sweet. Thanks for sharing. I was just super interested in hearing about that because I don't, I don't think we've talked about that before. 
Um, and uh, we've definitely never been exposed to, you know, separation at that extreme. So I just wanted to dig into it a little bit. So you had this very, you know, Middle East culture experience um, where, you know, men and women were separated. Even you as a Iranian didn't necessarily fit in there. So you, you already dealt with feeling very different um, from from a young age. And that's actually interesting because, well, I'm actually curious when you when you guys decided to that or your parents told you, you guys were moving to America. How did you react to it? Was it what was your reaction? I wasn't happy because the Middle East is all I knew. And the only glimpse of the U.S. I've had at this point was what I've watched on TV. Uh, I've been to the U.S. when I was really young, but I was too young to remember what it was like. Uh, so I was really scared. But also, I didn't have much to hold on to in the Middle East. Uh, I didn't have a, a big group of friends. Um, I did have a community, but they're more like family friends than personal friends. So when we were told that we're going to move to the U.S., I was really nervous. I had no idea what's going to come, who I'm going to turn into, and if I was going to continue to be bullied for being non-Arab, non-Muslim. Mm-hmm. And so... So you moved to moved to the U.S. and then what grade were you in when you got here? Sixth, did you say? Sixth grade. It was uh, two weeks before the first day of sixth grade. Got it. Um, you told a little story of the you know your first exposure to seeing you know boys and girls sitting next to each other, female teacher that's young, and that being you know shocking. I'm curious, what else can you say about you know the first? you know, months or years of being in the U.S. and uh, the culture shock you experienced? Something that stuck with me for that period of time, I would say during my middle school experience, I remember being home alone a lot because I was too shy to, to make friends and my English was really bad and I was still learning. Um, and we had one desktop at home and I would come home early after school because I didn't have friends and I would just mess on Photoshop, like make my mom's nose bigger on pictures or just like (laughs) making stupid images. And then one thing led to another and I got my first job at 13 as a graphic designer. This is the only thing I remember during that period. But as far as my schooling experience goes, I remember the first week of middle school, my dad told me, do your best not to spend time with Arab or Persian kids because I want you to practice English and I don't want you to get too comfortable speaking, you know, your native language. And what started as, as a slight suggestion from my dad at a young age, I really held on to it up until now. I I don't really spend too much time with Persian circles or Arab circles now because from that period in middle school, I've learned to enjoy being around people that are different from me. They have different beliefs, different interests, uh, different cultural backgrounds. And this all started from middle school. So I would spend a lot of time with the Korean kids. There were two kids from Nigeria that I'd always hang out with. And we barely spoke, but would play and hang out all the time. And this has really shaped who I am today just being with people that I can't really relate to. And I just found something so beautiful in that. 
Tell me a little bit about that. So I know like in my experience when I've been close with people from different cultures, there's a lot of things that are different that usually like pulls us together because it's interesting and new. And then I also tend to find similarities. Like did you find similarities uh, within those differences um, with different cultures with those friends that you had? That's a great question. Uh, the only similar- similarities that I would look for would be the human characteristics. Things like, are they empathetic? Are they courageous? Do they tend to lie? But on a second level, I would also look at their body language. Do they make a lot of eye contact? When they speak to you, is their chest uh, facing towards you? What types of topics are they interested in? Do they, when a girl, a pretty girl passes by, do they eye them? Do they look away? Do they not care? Uh, Just slight things like that I'd like to look at. But as far as what we had in common, I would just say just their human characteristics. That's a really dope thing to talk about. I think just like being able to strip away, um, you can't really strip away culture and all that ever. But when you do, um, something that Tanin said in the other podcast was like, we're just humans. It's just a bunch of humans. And at the end of the day, that's the core of who we are. Um, So it's cool that like even at a young age, you were just looking for people you could actually connect with on a legit level versus whatever other reason it is to connect with someone. Um, I'm glad you said that because, you know, identity, identity is this concept that a concept or an idea that you develop about yourself over time. And we live in a time and place where it's welcome to focus more on your ethnicity, culture, age, gender. Again, I've said this a couple of times already, but things that you didn't pick but I think there's something so empowering, empowering about you deciding how people see you. Sometimes when I meet people, I tell them I'm a farmer. I don't tell them my age. Uh, I don't tell them what I do. I don't tell them you know, what size shoes I wear. But I think things like culture could be limiting to many, whether it's your sexuality, whether it's the types of things you like to talk about, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, I'm Persian and we're not known to be great Olympic divers. So why, why bother becoming one? You know what I mean? Like it's so out of my range. So that's why I don't like culture too much. Culture is beautiful. Culture is colorful, but, uh, I don't like to base my whole life around it. Yeah. I mean, I a hundred percent agree that like, I pretty much, yeah, live by by what you're talking about. When did you come to the this realization? And was it? Do you feel like it was a direct result of how you were treated as a as a kid, or or do you think it just came with maturity, or or coming to America? I'm curious, like where that came from, and like when you when you realized that. I'm sure my childhood had an effect, but I like to believe that the most profound effect that I've had was this period in 10th grade high school sophomore year I think it was three months where I promised myself I would not take in entertainment I would not watch movies shows play on my phone or ps3 or an xbox or whatever it was I would have to entertain myself Uh, This could be in the backyard. This could be me building something. And in these three months, first of all, I got to say it was very difficult uh, because sometimes 
we are pretty boring and we don't live that like sporadic lifestyle where it's like pressing the next channel on TV where you could instantly be entertained. I think in those three months, I've learned so much about myself and who I am, what I like, what I choose to do, who I want to be one day. And none of it was limited by the beliefs and the ideas that were fed to me when I was raised. So I would say that was the most productive thing I've done for myself, just not taking entertainment. Interesting. And what led you to do that in the first place? Because that's so difficult as a as a teenager in America. That's like the opposite of what anyone would want to do. Um, so I'm super interested in what drove you to doing that. There's a an anthropologist and author. His name is Terence McKenna. This man was very relevant in the 60s and 70s. And uh, his entire research and philosophy revolved around psychoactive substances done by certain tribes around the world. Why did they did them, what types of effects it had on them, and what it meant to them as well. And uh, he just has really interesting ideas and philosophies based on uh, cultures around the world. And one of his suggestions was to not take an entertainment. I gave it a shot and it changed my life. Really, it's, it's been such a big impact. What, what about not taking an entertainment led you to learn so much about yourself? That's very interesting. And, and I can see how, for example, today, like if I weren't to go on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, I have more of my own thoughts, you know, going through my head as opposed to being fed other narratives. Um, so I, I can definitely see it, but I'm curious about that. Um, like, how did it help you? How did how does cutting entertainment uh, specifically help you figure things out in life? That's a that's a really good question. I wish I had a long time to sit and think about it to give you a thorough answer. Uh, but from what I can think of right now, when I watch TV, I look at a character and I say, ooh, that character is ugly. Or, oh, that character is really handsome. I need to work out more. Or that guy has a really cool backpack. I wish I had that backpack. I'm constantly thinking about what I have, what I don't have, where I am, where I want to be. Let's say there's like a Bollywood love scene where the man and woman are dancing around a tree and I like start fantasizing about having a, a perfect relationship one day. All these ideas, all these standards that are to some extent unrealistic set on TV that we're trying to chase make it so we forget what really matters, which is who am I? What type of human do I want to be? How do I want to spend my time on this planet? while I'd be too distracted thinking about like a nice backpack that a character has. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think not stimulating your brain, not constantly forcing it to be somewhere and just being conscious and available to process all your thoughts uh, really helps you understand where you are and who you are too. Yeah, no, that that's, I a hundred percent agree with that. And I found limiting, yeah, just technology in general, since it's always kind of trying to push some sort of 
agenda or just like reminds you of something like you said that it reminds you of something that you have or don't have i think that's that's very true and it's something that happens subconsciously that most people don't recognize um and so are you one to get into meditation and and that sort of thing as well i used to be really big into meditation i was very interested in uh buddhist philosophy for some time and i still am but if i'm being very honest with myself i've i've started to crave a lot of materialistic gains uh it hurts a lot that i'm aware of it yet i'm choosing to live this lifestyle too but uh, i have certain goals in life and for me to achieve them i need those materialistic resources to achieve them so, sorry sorry to stray away from your question but I used to be into meditation, now I don't meditate as much. Do you feel like cuz you mentioned like did you say materialism? Mm-hmm. Is that the word you used? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you feel like it's hard to meditate when you you know that that's going on in your head or like do you think those coincide? Like you can't be materialistic and follow Bud- Buddhist beliefs. You could be both. You could you could be Jeff Bezos and achieve nirvana at least I'd like to believe but with it comes a level of comfort this is a very difficult question because you know I I work every day so I could reach a certain amount of money so I could start my own business so I could find investors who can invest more money into my business and then one thing would lead to another and I'm feeding underprivileged communities which is the goal um and this whole mentality of art I got to do this, then that, then that, and plan A goes this way, plan B goes that way. All these thoughts are taking up space in my mind. To meditate is just to exist and be aware of your thoughts. And I think I have a lot of attachment to my thoughts. I have a lot of opinions and I judge my thoughts a lot. These are all the things you should not do when you're meditating. So I think I've been feeding those voices so much to the point where meditation is challenging to me right now. I think I'm going to devil's advocate you just for fun. Mm-hmm. We can cut this out. Um, but one would say that on one end, you kind of are in a meditative state to be so consciously aware of what's going on in your head that's stopping you from actually practicing meditation. So one could say that you kind of are in the moment because you're reading that like I'm feeding these other things. So your awareness seems to be there well, regardless of if you're you know, sitting and breathing outside of a beach. Just saying. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if there's a, a right or wrong way to see this, but I think the reason I convince myself I'm not in a meditative or aware state of mind is because I'm not enjoying the benefits of it. When I used to meditate, I had this unstoppable confidence, this level of you know, I was so sure that the universe has got my back and my path is set. This feeling I don't have as much anymore. And I think it all immediately stopped as soon as I stopped meditating. And meditation comes in many different forms. But the form I'm talking about is the form where I sit quiet and still and I observe my thoughts. I also used to pray uh, every day and night for a long time. It's part of the Baha'i practice. That's something I don't do as much. Yeah, I don't know why I brought that up. That's, that's not relevant. 
No, no, it was just, it is interesting. I appreciate hearing your, like, uh, perspective on what I said, too. Because, yeah, to each their own, totally. Cool. Thanks for sharing that about meditation. I, I just thought that was, that's an interesting topic. And I totally get what you're saying in the sense that, like, you know, when you have so many goals and, and yeah, like, even if the end state is to do something positive and like an act of service or whatever is the end state, you have to do a lot of not pure service things to get there. And then, like you said, it, it takes a lot of energy and space in your brain. And it's, it's really hard to be, I mean, that's why like monks and stuff, they're not, you know, starting companies there. <laughs> there's, they're sitting in quiet places and putting them in environments and like being in Silicon Valley. It's, it's funny because there's so much talk of like mental health and meditation for like CEOs and tech people, but like the two are very, it's, it's very difficult and it's, you, you rarely see someone that balances it, both of them well. So I totally get what you're talking about. But anyways, we can transition over to um, what was your relationship with your parents like when you moved over here? What was their perspective on America and American culture mm -hmm. and how you fit into that versus you, you know, maintaining your, I don't know, UAE heritage and that whatever culture you built over there? Um, what was their viewpoint on it? Because for us, or for, for myself, um, my parents moved here. They were in Iran, and they moved here when they were very young. And then for me, it, it seemed like they were trying to keep their heritage alive through us. Um, and so there were definitely, there were pressures there that, that we felt. Um, and so, but it, but it sounds like in your experience, it may be a little bit different uh, based on what you were saying earlier. So I'm curious to hear what uh, your experience was dealing with your parents in it's America. It's quite similar to yours. So some parents and my, some background of my parents. On my dad's side, my dad left Iran during the revolution. He went to India to uh, study and he was there for 14 years. And then he moved to the United Arab Emirates with my mom. And then on my mom's side, uh, she was born and raised in uh, United Arab Emirates. And because she wasn't in India, she has what we see as more conservative beliefs uh, because, you know, she was born and raised in the Middle East, while my dad is a lot more progressive because uh, he went to university in India and India tends to be a lot more open about progressive ideas, liberal ideas. So when we moved to the U.S., uh, there was a lot of conversations and reminders of who we are, why we're here and what we're doing from my mom, because she really wanted us to hold on to our traditions and our practices. She didn't want us to forget the language. Um, but my dad was, my dad didn't care. As long as we're doing good, as long as we're being kind to each other, as long as we're being giving to one another, that's all my dad cared about. Can you talk a little bit about like, what's your perspective on your mom's perspective? What's your perspective on your dad's perspective? And then where do you lie within the two of those? Sure. I respect both of them in terms of what they believe. I don't think there is a right or wrong way to live. A lot of what my mom believes is based off of how she was born and raised. 
who she was around, uh, what her reality was like as well. And same goes for my dad as well. But the hard part for me now is that the reality I'm living here in the U.S. in 2021 is very different from everything that they've experienced. And uh, I remember when we first moved here and I was at that age where I was talking about what I want to be when I grow up, uh, I told them I want to be a firefighter because I just thought it was really cool. And we went through this whole brown household conversation of, oh, it doesn't make money. It's going to you know, make us look bad, blah, 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 blah. But then when you think about it, where our parents, where my parents come from, um, for them to make it out of their community and to a better place, the only way to prove it was by showing good grades and having a good career. But now I'm in this beautiful place where because of my parents' hard work, I'm in the Silicon Valley where I really don't need to have a 4.0. I don't need to have like the greatest degree or the best job. They've worked really hard so I could have this freedom to really live life and experience it for what it is, you know? Uh, and this is the part where I'm a little different from my parents. Of course, I want to live a life where I am serving others and I am giving back to the community. This is something that I learned from my parents. Um, but in terms of the tradition, in terms of what I eat, what language I speak, when an elder walks in the room, do I stand up and shake their hands? Or when it comes to paying the bill and splitting the bill, am I fighting my friends over it because I'm Persian and that's what Persians do? Things like this, I don't care about too much. As much as possible, now that we've worked so hard and ended up here in the U.S. and I've had this privilege of growing into this character that's not limited by the limits of culture, uh, I hope to live a life where my kids don't worry about what they are and focus more on who they want to be. And that's the future I want to bring for my family. I think you beautifully put a name to that um, a lot of our parents' generation, uh, they're, uh, they were in a place of survival. So yeah, in order to survive, they needed to succeed at a high level in order to make it here. Um, and then we have the beauty of choice, um, the privilege of it, and being able to choose what we want to do and where we want to go. Um, and those those two things are so different that there a lot of the times there's a huge disconnect between our parents and us um, because we do we do get the privilege to choose because they chose to move here and survive through it for us to have the opportunity and that that's a two very different things yeah well said very well said yeah I always find it and this, this may be a immature like selfish uh, thing to say but I always find it um so difficult to deal with or so kind of ironic sometimes that um a lot of immigrants come to the u.s to like give their kids opportunity and then they achieve that but then like you know once we have once we've you know graduated school like we've gotten all the things that they didn't necessarily get so easy and even have like you know a decent paying job, like you're a livable, a livable salary. And like, you're, you don't have to worry about really anything. Um, but there's still, there's still pressures to do things that 
comes with like their culture. I don't know how to say it. There's still pressures to get the most high paying job. That's the least risky possible thing that you could do. Like, and I mean, I had that similar conversation, the brown, (laughs) brown person conversation. Um, I remember my first passion was um, architecture and construction. Um, That was like my first, first passion in life. I used to, I even used to, my mom said I used to walk around with like a Bob the Builder belt, uh, like around the house as a little kid and like pretend to fix things. Um, Anyways, I remember, I even went to some camps about it, but I remember just being told, um, yeah, like architect, you're not going to make any money doing that. Um, and then later in life, when it was in high school and it was time to choose your major, it was like, you know, everything got checked off the list other than engineering somehow without me. <laughs> somehow I sat down with some elders and like I came out having like an, an engineering career um, <laughs> without having any, you know, previous interest necessarily in engineering. Uh, looking back on it, obviously, I appreciate that. Um I still don't know if it was the right right thing for me, but I just always find it so interesting that, you know, the whole goal of coming over here is to give your kid opportunity and freedom. But then a lot of the times, um, despite giving them that, there's there's also at the same time these like restrictions and you can only find freedom and happiness through this route. Um, and it's something I, I notice a lot and I want to, you know, change when I'm a parent, hopefully one day. Um, anyways, just wanted to share my experience. I appreciate that. If I could shed some psych shit on here. Um, I think what you're actually talking about, what you're naming, uh, that experience of having parents who came here and then still instilling those kinds of values and expectations on you. Um, you're naming basically what's kind of coming up in the world right now that people are talking about where we're trying to break uh, generational trauma. Like that's a, that, so our parents having a fear response and always coming from a place of survival is their trauma. And when they project that onto us, that's their trauma projected onto us. We now have the option, the choice, the privilege, um, and the challenge to then change that for our future families. And I think that's why this experience is so hard because though I can understand how, like, cause I'm frustrated too. I chose therapy and I fought with my parents forever to be here and probably kind of still am. Cause I don't really make that much money and that's kind of the truth of it, but it was my passion. So I did it anyway. Um, but I think like our parents are, they, they haven't challenged that trauma. They did, did not have the psychoeducation to be able to do that. And also it's a really hard thing to do. So now we're in a position where it's been handed down to us. And now we have a choice, an opportunity, a privilege, a challenge, a gift, whatever way you see it, to be able to break that for our families as well. And what it does is we take in all of that trauma that our families and parents have dealt with. We then go to therapy and process it ourselves and then understand ourselves in a different way so that our kids don't have to go through the same shit. So in that way, on one end, it's fucked because it's hard because we're doing the work that everyone above us did not do. And we get to change that. We change the world in doing that because our kids get to be brought up with parents who changed that. And so that's a cool gift that we get in that way. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's a that's a good way of looking at it. I vote Team Ida. <laughs> Thank you. 
Um, okay, so we kind of like to wrap it up with this question. Um, and so I'm really interested to hear kind of how you'll answer it just because we kind of have talked about um, how like, yes, there's culture and culture is beautiful and, you know, brings impact in our lives and uh, we're human beings at the root of it. So the question really is, is like, where are you at today with your cultural identity? Um, and you can answer that however that really like lands for you. I'm in a place where I am trying to shed off all culture that is somewhat attached to me. I don't want to be known as that Persian guy. I don't want to be known as the guy that was born and raised in Abu Dhabi. I would rather be known as, oh, that's Ayan. He's into plants. He's into farming. He likes to surf. He's an engineer. He's an artist. He's a soon-to-be uncle. He's a son. He's a friend. But not not my race. Uh, I think that's very limiting. I think that's very backwards. And I am pushing for a mentality where we get to move forward beyond cultural limits or borders of countries. Beautifully said. Um, and not surprised, kind of having known you for however long we've really known each other, but not surprised that that's kind of your answer. Um, and I appreciate, I appreciate your perspective on like shedding your culture, like shedding that and being known for your characteristics and the value that you bring to the world and the purpose you have here and what you're doing and what you care about. Um, and a world where we're acknowledged for that would be a really cool thing. So hopefully we're, you know, moving towards it, but I appreciate your perspective on that. Thank you for the support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I echo that and just want to thank you again for for spending some time telling your story, talking about the the uncomfortable stuff and the and and also unconventional ways of thinking about culture, which I personally subscribe to as well. Um, so yeah, man, it's always always amazing to talk to you. It's been too long. Uh, thanks again for taking the time to talk with us. Of course, it was my pleasure. You two are always well-intentioned and genuine, and you're worth my every second. Thanks, guy. You should put that on your dating profile. <laughs> <laughs> you need a testimonial. Thanks for listening to the So What Are You podcast. If you like this episode, please feel free to rate and review and share with your friends. Also, if any of you are looking for a therapist in California, feel free to reach out to me, Ida, through the practice I work for, Therapy Now SF. The link is in the bio.